0: Hello, I'm Party Parslow. Welcome to episode 8 of series 2 of Party in China. That's chapter 34 in the old money. But anyway, you count it, the important thing is I had just enjoyed one of the highlights of all my time in China. Brunch with a panda. Mmm, Jealous. If you recall, 11am was the time when my buttocks were even and or the buckets were leaving. I'd seen but not dined with, unfortunately, a dozen or more giant pandas, but no red pandas. A sign said the females were all locked away in the nursery and I suppose all the males were down the pub boasting about how they'd got their girlfriends knocked up. I'd also found the best coffee in Sichuan at the Han Han Cafe, right there in the grounds of the Chengdu Panda Breeding Centre. But having also found an exhibit which encouraged you to identify which pieces of panda poop resulted from the animals eating which part of the bamboo plant, I briefly suspected that the coffee grounds might include Scat found on the ground, within the grounds, like the gourmet coffee which has been devoured and defecated by Vietnamese civets. In case you haven't heard, the coffee is called Copy Lua. A civet is sort of a weasel, and the Vietnamese Weasels is a great name for a band. But then I decided that it was simply supply and demand. Tourists fly in from all over the world to see a real panda and they expect a real coffee afterwards. Forgive the digression, but I was once camping in a forest near Lake Balaton in Hungary and awoke at dawn to the sound of a cuckoo calling. I'd never heard it before except for movies and TV and, you know, clocks, and lay there marvelling at the experience until my girlfriend rolled over and crankily muttered, What kind of quit f- carries a cuckoo clock into the forest? I bring that up because if I carried a cuckoo clock around with me, that bird would have just finished its 10th coo and be commencing on its 11th cook when I sloshed up to the mini-mini-bus. Only the driver was there, half-dozing, half-watching a supernatural martial arts movie on a small screen, which I'd previously thought to be a large rear-view mirror. Stupid of me. Why would he need a mirror? Chinese drivers don't care what's behind them. Their philosophy is, what's past is past. The Chinese tourist showed up about 10 or 15 minutes late. I helpfully stuck my boots out as an umbrella stand for her just like before. I knew my place. The poms were nowhere to be seen. I mean, hadn't the driver explained about the buttocks and the buckets? After another 15 or 20 minutes, I tried to get the driver going, but my Chinese vocabulary just wasn't up to the task. So I was saying things like, I want Chengdu. Chengdu wants me. Chengdu today. Not here. There. He either didn't understand or didn't want to. The Chinese tourist smiled at me in sympathy but didn't want to get involved. So I handed her back her umbrella slipped and scooted out of the back, walked around the van and opened his door, indicating that he should get into the back and that I'd drive us to bloody Chengdu. He actually got out, which excited me, but shut the door before I could take his seat and made a phone call, then got back in and sat behind the wheel once more. He'd been told to keep waiting for them. According to my notes from that day, it was at 11.48 when I exploded and bellowed, Let's go! F- right now! He immediately started the engine. I should have tried mindless aggression in the first place. But as he reversed through the quagmire, I saw the pommy couple walking towards us. No, 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 not walking. Strolling. Ambling. Promenading. No indication of any haste at all. The driver was busy negotiating the muddy puddle which the car park had become and hadn't noticed them. After a brief internal ethical struggle, I said, Taman Shina. They're here. Or maybe they're there. Depending on my tone, I could never tell. Either way, he stopped and they climbed in with the bloke maintaining that mute surliness which many Brits mistake for masculinity and the woman having the good grace to apologise and thank us for waiting. Don't thank me, I confessed. I've been trying to get him to leave for half a bloody hour. She looked hurt and angry. So much for honesty being the best policy, eh? Back at the hotel, I stuffed all my wet belongings into my backpack and checked out, asking the receptionist to call me a taxi to the airport. No, she said, and walked away. I found the manager and complained. He no come, she explained, searching her mind for the reason why in English. It rain. It certainly did The downpour was more like a waterfall than rainfall, heavy, thick and constant. The river was just starting to overflow the stone walls which lined the banks. The turbulent waters were still mostly contained, but larger rapids were slopping out into the street in spectacular sprays. I've been soaked by breaking waves on beaches and boats and docks and piers, but never expected it literally thousands of kilometres from the ocean. Not that it mattered, it was impossible to get any wetter. In fact, only an idiot would be out in that weather at all, which explained why I was there, but I was surprised to see Chinese Liza Minelli again, still bobbing her head and swirling her tongue at me. She must have really wanted that ice cream cone. Everything I wore was already drenched, and everything I owned was also drenched through by the time I reached renminlu Lu again. Traffic was gridlocked as far as I could see, surprisingly so, as each and every driver was blowing his or her horn, yet somehow that didn't seem to help. Yeah, cool figure. The storm water drains had been overwhelmed long ago and many vehicles had turned the footpath into an extra lane. So I took to walking down the centre of the road where it was marginally less deluged. Rapping on the driver's window of each taxi I passed, I asked if they were going to the airport. None of them was. Or none of them fancied sharing with a ginormous sopping yeti. Thus I walked several blocks to the Minshan Lhasa Hotel, from where I'd caught a bus to the airport on my way to Hong Kong. It had been quick, easy and cheap. It was none of those things now. Last time there'd been several buses lined up and waiting for a relatively orderly crowd. Now there was only a sodden throng of brawling potential passengers. The buses were stuck out in the storm somewhere. Avoiding those fighting for shelter under the awning as just a waste of time, I stood on the kerb at the front of the melee. There was no available space between me and the whitewater gushing gutter. But a businessman pushed his way in anyway, with his heels between my toes and his suitcase on my right boot. Then the crowd surged because a bus appeared at the end of the block, and the businessman needed both hands to push someone else back, giving me the opportunity to lift my boots slightly and tip his suitcase into the torrent, then watch it float away at speed. A few seconds later, he looked for his bag, spotted it halfway down the block and ran splashing out of sight. When the bus pulled up, I was lucky to be very near the door, but someone immediately kicked me or maybe knocked me with a suitcase, behind the knees, and the advancing riot pushed me forward until I was kneeling nearly waist-deep in the white water in the same gutter. Instant karma, anyone? As I fought my way upright, I heard and felt the seam in the crotch of my trousers tear asunder. Normally, I'd blame the curse of hefty testicles but the boys had had enough of that drenching and crawled up to relative safety, so it wasn't their fault. Following my gonads' example, I crawled up as well, hauling my body through the door by grabbing the handrail until I was lying face down in the stairwell, but still unable to wrench my legs out of the crowd behind me. Bags and suitcases were being thrown over my head so they could use both hands to climb up my back. No kidding. I was on all fours, with my knees on the lowest step and my forearms on the highest, trying to stand while several men and women climbed over me, walking on my back and jumping from my shoulders into the aisle. It was infuriating. But by the time I made it back upright... I couldn't tell who'd used me as a gangway and would have had to wreak revenge upon the whole bus. Not beyond my realm of possibility. However, amazingly, one young woman had saved me a seat, spiritedly fighting off usurpers who awarded me vigorous stink-eye when I sank gratefully into place. As the bus started off and travelled a full 30 yards before hitting gridlock, I thanked my pretty young benefactor, but wondered why she'd been so kind. In answer, she dug her smartphone out of her handbag and proudly showed me a video of a Chinese woman Bollywood dancing. Ah, now it made sense. Well, not really until she explained that the woman was her student. She was showing off to someone whom she thought would appreciate it, so I complimented her and said it was impressive, which I suppose it was. However, I found the next video slightly less impressive, and the next less so again, and the next, and the next, and the next... I must have slipped into some sort of trance because she was shoving me and showing me a photo. What reaction did she expect? I tried, You look very lovely, but she snarled, That's not me, and glared out the window from then on. Thank God. No more Bollywood, no need to make polite conversation, and I still had the seat. Road conditions were hideous, but I had about six hours to make my late-night plane, and I could have walked it in that time if I'd known the way. So, although it took a couple of hours to get there, I still had several more to kill in The City for Double Win and Goodliness, as it announced on the welcome sign to Shangliu Airport. As everything in my baggage was just as wet as what I was wearing, I didn't change just checked both bags in, completely forgetting about the rip in the ball sack of my pants. At security, I took off my steel-toed bisley boots so as not to make the metal detector go beep. A guard indicated that I should put them back on. No, sir! I explained that they would make the machine go beep. No, sir! I explained again. These boots will make this machine go beep. He sent for a supervisor who had better English. I explained it to him. These boots will make machine go beep. sir. So his English wasn't that much better then. I put my boots back on and stepped into the metal detector. Please remove your shoes, sir. (sighs) The most interesting thing within the waiting lounge was an ad for a wristwatch, which said, Elegant Cohesion Release Force. So I bought a couple of Chinese Carlsberg at the cafe and sat by the large windows watching the storm, wondering if we'd even be able to take off. Although it was only 50 or 60 meters away, squalls regularly hid our Air Asia jet from view, and gusts made the wings wobble up and down alarmingly. I told myself that's what they were designed to do. As I waited, the rain drumming on the roof alternated between Phil Collins and Keith Moon, from reasonably rhythmic to almost manic but not as manic as the mayhem when our plane was called. If possible, it was worse than OK Airlines a year before. But this time, I remained aloof and let the loonies battle it out before proceeding to the walkway. Therefore, I was last on, and we were 45 minutes late or so, which perhaps was why they'd already started the safety demonstration as I made my way down the aisle. Observing my fellow passengers, I realised these were the people who actually need a safety demo. Many seemed bewildered by the concept of a seatbelt altogether. Further testament to the preponderance of first-time travellers was that both the attendants and the safety information card exhorted Do not remove life vest and safety leaflet from aircraft. I'm not sure how much later it was either an Eon or an Era, but I was boarding the next plane from Kuala Lumpur to Sydney. A miniature Malaysian lady about to sit next to me had no hope of getting her oversized cabin luggage into the overhead locker, so I stood to help her and, bending to lift her huge bag, heard my already damaged pants rip from the already gaping crotch all the way up the backside to the belt. So after a year working in China, I literally went home with the arse out of my trousers. Next time on Party in China, I'm out of China at last. And back in my beloved Australia at last. But how long will that last? I'm Party Parslow. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Party in China. For more, like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Subscribe to the podcast at Audio Boom, Stitcher, iTunes, or your favorite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Fights.com.